Ludwig von Beethoven is one of the most notable people in human history, and I'm not even limiting that to the music world. He is likely in the top 100 people that will be known for all of human civilization. Definitely longer than any of us, I know that much. But his life as a child was rough, with an absent drunk father, a sick, depressed mother, constant bullying at school, and an expectation to be the very best that he could. Despite all of this, Beethoven rose above it and was able to make the right connections with the right people in the right places that eventually moved him out of his hometown, Bonn. So what did he do when he left that wretched town behind? Find out on today's episode of On In 5. Hello and welcome to On In 5. Thank you for joining us. My name is Anton Ryder. I'm joined by, you know him, you love him, Austin Thomas and Ethan Bonin. How are you guys doing tonight? I'm, I'm doing good. How are you doing, Tony? I love the mustache. Thanks. Uh, my face got really itchy and really uncomfortable, and so you it looked, decided to get rid of. I looked like something was wrong with your hair. Yeah, I looked like something was wrong like with me. <laughs> yeah. Don't you hate when like the neck like starts to get itchy like right underneath your chin? Well, there's like a point where it like gets to worse. Yeah. And it's awesome you when you it. shave everything off and you get to see all the acne that was under everything <laughs> <laughs> that you couldn't see before. All the blemishes. Oh, hey everyone! I, I thank you so much for coming to listen to us. How are you? I hope you're all doing great. Fully bearded Ethan Boney in there. Yeah, yeah Ethan's yeah, here I too. Guess I'm, I'm here. Yeah, thank you for joining us. We are uh, so excited to be getting back into Ludwig von Beethoven. Um, I hope you had fun last episode. It was dense. We listened to it uh, before it came out, and uh, goddamn, it's dense. It is. It was dense, and hopefully, you guys stuck with us because it's about to get a little denser. <laughs> Oh, 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 the book that Sick. I read, uh, this this whole story covers one, uh, two chapters. So uh, it's a it's a three hundred page book, and this this covered about forty pages. Of, no, yeah, about forty pages of it. So it's gonna be a long yeah. series, but it's a good story. So when we last, it's so good. Yeah. So when we last left off, Beethoven was leaving the life he knew and bond behind for what he thought was only gonna be for a year to go study with Joseph Haydn in Vienna. If you remember, he had been there once before where he met Mozart briefly before heading back home to see his mother who was passing away or in the process of dying. But while he was a guest of the city before, when he arrived in November 1792, he had plans to settle in a little more to learn from the new, much more musical world around him. While he had met Mozart and Haydn on his first trip to Vienna, he really wasn't known at that point and he is going to end up with this city in the palm of his hand oh, eating out of the palm of his hand yeah they God, end up begging for loving it. him yeah vienna was like the shining city on the hill in the area at the time in in germany austria that area like vienna was the place to be it was known for its art its plays its architecture and of course its music it was home to some 200,000 people in 1790 compared to the much smaller population in Bonn, which the earliest number I could find was 63,000 in 1867, almost 100 years later. So I'm not sure if it went up as time went on or if it dropped when the French took it over. If you remember from the last episode, the French were coming to take it all over. Uh, but I do know that it was never at 200,000 people. So this <laughs> was just a little bit of a shock for Beethoven. 
one of the documentaries I watched, the new documentary, I can't remember what it's called. <laughs> it purported that right. Vienna was 25 times greater in population at the time, but they claimed Vienna had a population of almost a quarter million. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, it's only 50,000 people off from my estimate. So it's not too much of a stretch. Um, yeah. yeah, a lot of people. That's a lot of people. No matter how it's you still spend a lot it, of people. So a lot of people. Uh, the the city was a little more eccentric than that of Bonn, with a lot more cultures and lifestyles meeting up there. It was a real melting pot, which made it a great spot for music and art to really bloom. There's a passage I'd like to share from the book. This was recounted and written by a traveler describing the streets of Vienna at the time and what could be seen, what was really going on. And if you don't mind. I would really like you to close your eyes for a second, mm -hmm. really put yourself in the moment, try and you know picture the streets of Vienna. Unless you are driving, please reopen your eyes while you're driving. <laughs> be safe, be safe. <laughs> Hungarians in their close-fitting trousers, Poles with their flowing sleeves, Armenians and Moldavians <laughs> with their half-Oriental costumes, Serbians with their twisted mustaches, Greeks smoking their long stem pipes in the coffee houses, bearded Muslims with broad knives in their belts, Polish Jews with their faces bearded and their hair twisted in knots, <laughs> Bohemian peasants in their long boots, Hungarian and Transylvanian wagoneers with sheepskin greatcoats, Krauts with black tubs balanced on their heads. So there's a lot going on. I could call it a melting pot. <laughs> I uh, I don't know who that was, but I want to meet that guy. That I guy was for that. So, that was pipe smoking, freaking just mahogany walled Austin Thomas. Oh, I need man. that man to be around a little more often. I also want to reiterate. I'm simply reading the words. I didn't write it. <laughs> You're not reading them. You're bringing them to life, my I'm friends. trying to do a little storytelling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so in Bonn, music was kind of held to a higher esteem, so not just anyone could go out and play. It was sort of a special thing to hear music there, but that wasn't the case in Vienna. Music was everywhere. People were playing everywhere. It was like what New Orleans is today. Like everywhere you look, there's just someone playing. It was fun mm -hmm. and lighthearted. Mm -hmm. um, but as fun and as lighthearted as it was, that's not to say that Vienna and the surrounding areas weren't in stressful situations. What with the French army moving around as well as like smaller, you know, less notable events. Um, and so the way that the people forgot about these more serious things under the surface was to eat drink and be merry a city of despairing frivolity this is really snobby british dude that said that and it, honestly it fits though yeah it's fitting <laughs> guys you guys are bringing your a game i need it for freaking beethoven i guess yeah we we dipped our toes in the first one but i guess we're comfortable all of a sudden i don't know i don't know i guess diving in I need it. I need it. Yeah. Though Beethoven was not the most jolly, happy-go-lucky man anyone had met, he knew he was going to do all right here in this new city. The same traveler wrote that no place of refreshment from the highest to lowest was without music. So this was a town where every person, like shopkeepers and bartenders, knew at least the most popular pieces. So this, he knew this place was going to be good to him. Just like a shopkeeper just whistling like a symphony the way yeah. that we whistle like Call Me Maybe now. Because essentially pop said. music because that's all they had. Yeah, that's nuts. Pretty yeah, cool. Yeah. I'm into it. Pretty, I like it. I'm into it, yeah. Just, Simpler time. Just like, I'm sure just it was like, easy to live back then. Just like 30 yeah. shopkeepers getting together and whistling whole symphonies <laughs> with their parts. 
Like, oh, you, you be the clarinet player, uh, whistling the clarinet parts, and you whistle the cello parts. And uh, why don't you, you do the whole, you do the choir parts, and we. And I'll be on the bass. I'll be on the bass on the way down low on the bass. Uh, the acapella, the Turkish acapella. <laughs> oh man, sign no, me no, up. No, no, Austrian. Sorry. Oh, you don't know how many freaking Reich's dollars I'll spend to see that. The Reich's dollars. <laughs> <laughs> when Beethoven first arrived, he was given a room in the attic of Prince Karl Lishnovsky, who is actually a relative of our friend from the first episode, Count Ferdinand Ernst Gabriel Waldstein und Wartenberg von Dachs, or God. as we will continue to call him, Count Wald. <laughs> if it was planned, uh, or if it was a stroke of luck that Beethoven ended up in Karl Lishnovsky's attic, we will never know. I decided to look it up, and uh, Count Wald, he was actually born in Vienna, so I'd assume that they did know each other. Well, I mean, they were related, and I, yeah, I just, I feel like definitely it was yeah. uh, we're, we'll We'll get a little deeper into Prince Carl in a second, but I think he had a hand in getting Beethoven living with him. There. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, he was a wealthy lover of the arts and had plenty of musicians in his home while Beethoven was there. And I'm sure that Beethoven himself treated the home to his music a time or two. Cool little thing. Carl had a relationship with Mozart as well and took Mozart on a trip to Berlin, which I think is so cool. Yeah, I looked into it a little more, too. And that's why I, I think he definitely had a hand in getting and making sure Beethoven was staying with him because he seems like that guy that really wanted to be in with the musicians, uh, like mm-hmm. kind of in their inner circle. He actually gave Mozart a large loan of 1,435 florins wow. and then sued Mozart weeks before he died because he didn't pay him back. <laughs> <laughs> and that gotta... was in a New York Times article. Holy <laughs> moly. You, you, you got to get that money back somehow, man. You can't, you can't let that money go undone. The dead don't pay. so They, they don't. It's true. You just got to hunt Mozart down on his deathbed and and get that money. (laughs) I don't know if he did, though. You know, (laughs) that's a good. Yeah, we don't actually know the answer to that. Um, But right after Beethoven got settled into his new home, he began lessons with his new mentor, Joseph Haydn. Things were going well for Beethoven, finding a rhythm in this new world. When there's a little bit of a change on December 18th, 1792, a day after his 22nd birthday, his father, Johann von Beethoven, died. Beethoven was notified, and he did absolutely nothing about it. He wasn't even affected by it in the slightest. It happens. Well, not yet for you, but someday. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> <He> wrote, man. <laughs> it happens. He wrote nothing of the event. He didn't show any sadness to those around him. Uh, and most importantly, he didn't return to Bonn to say goodbye to his father. Johann had screwed Beethoven over for 22 years, and Beethoven was more than happy to leave Johann behind him and get on with his life. And his father dying really did close the book for his time and his life in Bonn. Johann's employer wrote sarcastically after his death that the revenues from the liquor excise, which is a tax, have suffered a loss in the death of Beethoven. (laughs) Yeah, his employer, you're referring to the elector Max Franz, basically the highest position in Bonn, and just ragging on Johan dying. Publicly. Yeah, Yeah, it'd be like if the mayor of a city was like, oh, you're drinking, like like made a point to point out you're drinking. This drunk dude died being drunk. (laughs) And and now we're going to have to find somebody else to sell all this liquor to. (laughs) But you know what? Fucking YOLO. Just go for it, man. Hell yeah. Yeah, he did. 
If you're Only alive, you ones. may as well just drink your legs full. <laughs> I don't know. Is that even I, a, No, uh, I don't think it is, but we can make it one. Nah, definitely not a saying. Drink That's your a, legs full. It's a thing you, now. <laughs> no, there's, there's a saying like that. Like, oh, he drinks like he's got a hollow leg. I, I have, yeah. Okay, I've heard that. That's a thing. That's a thing. <laughs> mine's like a loose the, interpretation. But. Mine's the <laughs> shitty version of that. <laughs> Tell your legs are full. (laughs) Oh, beautiful, Tony. Thank you. Uh, But now Beethoven could fully focus on writing and performing. Beethoven dove headfirst into it. He was studying under Haydn. He was performing around the city for Lishnovsky and Lishnovsky's friends at their parties. And when he found time, he was composing new works himself. On more than one occasion, Beethoven was working on four or five pieces at a time pieces that he would try and perform himself or pieces that he would sell outright to people who wanted them. And this was a big way that Beethoven paid his bills for a while. He would like write music, compose whole pieces, and then just sell them basically for the money. And he'd get no royalties or anything after that. Yeah. And I wonder how much he had to dumb most of the pieces down when he knew he was selling them because realistically, how many people could actually play what he sold if he was going all in that's so true but honestly i bet that he could i i bet he just could write at any level like he can write these incredibly intricate tough pieces that were literally impossible to be played by any human on earth at the time but also he could write these pieces that were simple if the mood called for it like he was a master and a genius and so he knew when to turn it up but also he knew when to pull it back and he had to sell what was going to sell so he would sell he would write to the to the level of the person who was buying it yeah dumb it down really dumb it down for dum-dums just so impressive God, what a master what a <sighs> freaking master yeah beethoven was good at stuff yeah he's really we're good at, i mean we're talking that. about him 200 years later he's pretty good at it <laughs> yeah i don't know if you heard in the intro he's gonna outlive all of us so yeah oh we haven't we haven't seen that yet so all right good don't point. be too sure <laughs> <laughs> gonna make my mark that's the that's the spirit that came out very Dude, on, sorry i didn't on, mean to be sexual yeah, about that that's that pretty nefarious <laughs> didn't man. mean to like sound serial killing when i said that yeah it sounds like you're <laughs> well, gonna I mean, blow something serial up killing is like usually a sexual thing that's what i meant our top story tonight, Ethan Michael Allen William Bonin murders eight people at a shopping mall. Not again. We've already talked people about- not actually that shocked. We've already talked about how my name sounds like a serial killer name. Stop it. Oh, great. Okay, back to the story. Yeah. But by a stroke of luck, arriving in Vienna so soon after Mozart had passed away had fared quite well for Beethoven because the city, who hadn't treated Mozart like the genius that he obviously was, was now pouring all of their love into Beethoven to try and make up for not doing the same with Mozart. Uh, we've talked about this before. Timing is everything. And as Beethoven showed up immediately after what would be a talent vacuum and he mm-hmm. it really worked out for him and Mozart oh, died yeah. fairly young. It's kind of weird. Yeah, fairly young, 35 years old, which is young, but I guess back then it is like 85. <laughs> Yeah. If we've known each other for quite a while, right? Yeah. Yes. Yes. When, when yes, you say have. when you so when you said, yeah, he died fairly young, uh, kind of weird. Your inflection meant it kind of sounded like you were thinking like, oh, maybe he wasn't supposed to die at that time. What's on your mind? Friend? You know, there is there's small circles that think maybe <laughs> he was killed. So I'm just saying <sighs> huh. maybe he was killed. There, there was actually a conspiracy that ruined someone's career at the time, like ruined someone's entire life because people conspired, like thought that 
So that he had been killed. That's a real thing. I'm sorry. I just have to bring it up. And if you want to know more about Mozart possibly being poisoned, look up Mozart possibly being poisoned. Yeah, look it up on your own. Uh, yeah, just every once in a while, we just have to s- let the steam out of Oscar, out of Ethan's head, or else he will blow because yeah, he 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 builds this up, and then we just gotta let him release it every once in a while, and then we're victim to it, we're subject to it, <laughs> which is why we do it. On, just get it after why we... we do it on air, so that you also have to hear it. Yeah, you're welcome, dear listener. <laughs> Thank you for listening. We love you. Enjoy that. Go look it up. Um, but while his talent, Beethoven's talent, was unrivaled. Meeting people like Lishnovsky and friends early on was a huge advantage for him. While we can only speculate, it's hard to say that if without having these doors opened, if Beethoven would have been able to get off the ground as a performer the way with the way he looked and acted. Even at 22, he already looked disheveled, uh, underfed, and tired, wearing raggy, poorly fitted clothes, and rarely making eye contact or conversation with people on the street. And all of this... He was playing the hot for the highest class in Vienna. This was him his entire life because he never learned how to be an actual person. His whole life was music and then being beaten when he wasn't thinking of music. Like everything I read and listened to said that any account of him in public, he was like always hunched forward with his eyes down, blatantly trying to get where he was going as fast as he could with no interaction. So, okay, so let's spend a minute on this. Do you think that Beethoven was on the spectrum? Absolutely. You think so? Yeah. I think his dad beat him to be a musician and took him out of any social instances he could be in so that he would become a musician. And I think his dad is mostly to blame. Maybe there's a little bit of uh, predisposition there, but I blame Johan more than anything. I wouldn't even call it like a predisposition. I I would almost say that like the way he was treated might have contributed to it. I'm I'm sure that like now they would give him like Aspergers or something like that just because yeah. of the way he is. I looked it up and yeah, they said that they think he may have had Aspergers. Yeah. Mm. Um but but at the same time like Austin said, I mean, he was so beaten into this he he was beaten he could have been beaten into having the same um symptoms or the same the same quirks as someone with Asperger's. And, He's, I mean definitely a broken person. He didn't get to yeah. have a childhood. The science yeah. behind autism, like they don't really know exactly what causes it anyways. It could be environmental for all we know. I don't know if this is the place to get into it. I mean, I'm sure there are multiple factors, but that could be one. I'm not saying it's definite and that it's always environmental. I'm just saying it could. <laughs> yeah. Well, at the yeah, he if if he wasn't uh if if he didn't have if he wasn't on the spectrum, he at least had the same traits as someone on the spectrum, the non-eye contact, the um the so, the social awkwardness. And I mean, I'm going to say he also had a uh very big talent like like we sometimes extremely see extremely specialized with, talent. I'm yes, going to be very honest savant. with you guys. I think we're getting into dangerous territory. <laughs> I think well, no matter what, what we're what like <laughs> we're trying to get at, generalizing about this is people are going to be mad. That's true. Hey, I don't. Know. I don't. Know. I'm just going to say that before we go <laughs> too far. We're not saying he does have it. We're saying yeah. it's yeah. possible that he could have. Yeah. 
Modern science. Okay. Um, <laughs> so I imagine that it was like such a bizarre sight to see all of these people at the parties with their lay like their layered jackets and the and the undercoats and the, the the vests and all that, their wigs, like all of this, and then having Beethoven with his drab clothing, his messy hair, and his angry look coming into play, like sitting down at the piano. But as soon as he began playing everyone's annoyed attitude towards Beethoven washed away. Mm -hmm. I know I've made so many jokes about like the exposure thing, but a lot, like if you can get connected into, we'll, we can call this a big venue like this, it would have ended his career if he hadn't been able to get into parties like this. Oh yeah. 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 Uh, and that's something that I love about doing like this wide variety of musicians is that we can see through all time periods and all styles of music. The story isn't that different seriously between, between Beethoven and, and nine inch nails, like, or something like that. Like it's, they're not that, that different. And so that's super cool. Like who, who, you know, is important and having lucky connections is just as important as your talent. Mm -hmm. It's pretty nuts. And that's not to say that Beethoven didn't make an attempt to better himself and make himself fit more appropriately with the audience he was playing for. Uh, after he arrived in Vienna, he actually made a shopping list that included like an overcoat, boots, shoes, a wig maker, as well as like a lot of other things that would basically make him look better in society. All right. That was a little confusing for me. And I looked it up and it just made it more confusing. Is a wig maker a person or a machine? It's a, it's a person. Yeah, he either wanted so. to okay. go talk to a wig maker or he wanted to buy them like a slave. And that's something that <laughs> scholars have pondered on for centuries. Thank you. Really? <laughs> I don't know. I was about to believe it. I looked up wig maker 1800s and it did not clarify my question at all. Hmm. I got to assume a person. Yeah, I think so. I think it'd be hard to make your own wig. You could get like a, a loom and... <laughs> like a chia freaking, bed, like Yeah, just it. like... So, <laughs> just grow it. Yeah, you just grow it. It's like a tree. They say money doesn't grow on trees. I say wigs do. Huh. Uh, he, he did have uh, actually written in one of his notebooks that he needed to hire a dance master because he had been advised that if you wanted to get ahead in Vienna, you need to know how to dance. So he made it, he made some effort, but he didn't cash in on it. That's going to be a big old yike from this one, from this guy. Yeah, I don't know about that. It's weird that he like would put in so much effort sometimes, like doing stuff like this, but then other times he would deliberately not put any effort in at all and like deliberately be gruff and angry. Mm -hmm. That's nuts. Um, also, yeah. side note, I, I really, really want to buy a Ludwig von Beethoven Chia Pet now, so... If Chia Pet, the company, could get on that, I, you'll have at least a customer in this guy. I'll buy one, too. Perfect. I'll buy one, too. Boom. Two. Three. <laughs> Hell, there's no way they're going to lose money on this. There you go. There you go. <laughs> um, but this is where I just I, – I really want to drive the point home that I don't think Beethoven was an angry or rude man just because he wanted to be. I think he truly couldn't get out of his own head with the music he heard all the time. So I think angry and rude isn't even the right words for me to use for him. I think he was more annoyed and distracted. Those are the words I wrote down for him. Annoyed because he was always being asked to play for everyone all the time, everywhere he went. So he found it easier to shut himself off by looking angry and make himself very not very approachable. Because when he looked angry, there wasn't a good chance that people were going to want to ask him to play without obviously him being paid for it and then and then distracted because he was literally coming up with music faster than he could write it down like i said he was working on four to five pieces like 
at multiple times. Mm -hmm. So he had ideas in his head all the time. And so he like had to remember them and everything like that. So conversations about the happenings of the day or menial small talk with the people around him were literally getting in the way of his talent. So he had to like rush place to place with an armful of parchment with his head down and because it was out of necessity more than a disdain for people around him. But that being said, Beethoven knew he was better than the people around him. They said his room was just full of partially completed pieces like everywhere. He's constantly full of great ideas all the time. It has to be exhausting. Yeah. Can't imagine. Can't imagine. Cannot imagine. Can't even Can't. put my, my, myself there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so one of the people that he was very quickly growing out of was his 60-year-old mentor, Haydn. Beethoven kept a consistent story that Haydn taught him nothing. I'm sure this drove Haydn crazy since he was like about to die. I mean, he's older. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah some would mean, say twilight years. Yeah, some would say, say twilight years. Some would type a twilight years in, in this script. They're <laughs> 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 not saying. All the time. <laughs> I mean, I mean, he had to be a little peeved because his nickname was the father of the symphony and for a, a big part of his life, he was renowned as one of the most celebrated composers in Europe. And this kid is saying he can't learn anything from him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Hayden said that he knew that Beethoven was good and showed a lot of promise, but knew that there was always more to improve on, which is a good trait to have. I mean, to, to have that humbleness. But mm -hmm. that's humble is one word that I would never use for Beethoven. No. He was anything but. Yeah. No, I'd no. say not. <laughs> yeah. So Haydn the, said the biggest thing that he helped Beethoven with through their time together was his introduction of counterpoint into Beethoven's music. And I'm not an expert in musical theory. I'm trying to learn it a little bit because I, I'm very fascinated by it and I think it'd be cool for this podcast. But I'm going to try and explain counterpoint the best that I can. And I'm strapped all the way in because it's about to be way over my head. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty interesting. So counterpoint is the concept in music that combines two or more parts, whether that is on the same instrument or different instruments. These parts can be played together or they can be played alone. It's basically making music, making parts in music that sound good alone and then combining them to make them even better. And it's usually like more complicated pieces than just harmonizing parts or something simple like that. This seems like a common concept nowadays, but back in the 1700s, basically every concept was fairly new. One of the best examples of counterpoint is displayed here on a piece we will talk about in depth later. Beautiful. Wow. Just absolutely beautiful. Melt the clouds of sin and sadness. <laughs> I got the it's all up there. <laughs> yeah, so Just, I'm sure that Pam sang that song plenty of times. Um, <laughs> so as you heard it, you could hear the violas and cellos playing the main theme, but then the basses and the bassoons added their own part to go against the main theme, but still work with the main line. I'm going to play it one more time because they actually split it off and you can actually hear each part if I pan right and left. different the two parts are but mm -hmm. still together mm -hmm. just fascinating i'm learning yeah 
I'm learning. Yeah, like it's not quite, it's not a harmonization. It's just two separate parts, but they sound good together. Yeah. Genius. The man's a genius. How does he do it? How does he do it? Yeah, Beethoven's a genius. We'll probably say that a couple times. <laughs> yeah, counterpoint. <laughs> Beethoven is very smart. Counterpoint's just a cool, cool little concept. Uh, and the main reason that we're talking about it is because I'm going to milk the shit out of getting to play pieces <laughs> in the show while we legally can. Legally. It is. I feel so good to be able to do that in our... <laughs> Like we usually can't. It feels yeah. good. Hell yeah, man. I love it. It's and uh, like I said, we're going to get more in depth with that piece that was Ode to Joy from Beethoven's Ninth Symphony when the time comes. But that is over 30 years away. And you know what that means, right? That Ode to Joy, one of the most well-known classical pieces of all time, was written by a freaking deaf guy, guy that couldn't hear Couldn't hear anything. a thing. Austin, the audience does not know that yet. They might not know that. We talked about it in the first one, so I'd hope they do. Oh, then, God, I'm an idiot. (laughs) I would hope if they're here, I'd hope they do. (laughs) Yeah, I'd hope, yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) who knows? (laughs) So we'll get, yeah, we'll get back, uh, we'll get back from the Ninth Symphony Ode to Joy to when he was first learning this concept with Josef Haydn. Beethoven ends up being deaf. (laughs) (laughs) cleared it right up (laughs) so Haydn was struggling with his personal life having a rocky marriage mistresses multiple mistresses and he was advancing in age as we've said just a man in his old years still using that piano man charm you son of a bitch (laughs) twilight years you son of a bitch (laughs) so it got to the point where beethoven was falling on the back burner for haydn and beethoven was left to his own devices to practice and learn which uh kind of annoyed beethoven i'd be pretty upset if i'd moved all the way to vienna just to be put aside for some tail. <laughs> some sick, sick 1790s tail. Viennese. Uh, I can't imagine it's good. I'm not gonna... I'll cut. <laughs> and to make matters worse, the first piece that Beethoven wrote after beginning his training with Haydn, Haydn requested, instead of putting his own name on the title of the page, that Beethoven should instead put Pupil of Haydn, which was apparently commonplace at the time. He does end up dedicating one or a couple of these. I th- I think at least one of these. At to least one. Hi- yeah, to Haydn, but he will not put pupil of on it. Well, I can I can explain that uh, a little bit because when you when you put pupil of so and so pupil of Haydn here, that's saying like I'm being taught. I am I'm still on my way up. But when you dedicate a piece, basically that's Beethoven saying, I am like, better than you. I'm allowing you to be on this piece. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so it's it's like I'm still in charge when I'm dedicating this to you. Like you should be thankful that your name is on this piece when I'm dedicating it to you. Ah, sounds a lot like Beethoven. <laughs> <laughs> not yeah, not humble. He had not had one humble pie his whole life. God, so I could go for uh, some humble pie. Uh, I find it pretty fascinating how this pecking order was so ingrained into society where you had to prove yourself under your teacher. Like if you think of all the apprentices and everything like that, like you had to study under the person below you for such a long time before you could finally do the job yourself. Um, Like like in this case, you weren't supposed to use your name on your own work. Like you composed the piece, but you should put pupil of because – because you had a teacher for it like it's basically the Mm -hmm. the quote i'm new here training badge you see on people like at grocery stores and stuff so that when they screw up you know you can say they're just new here tony you're good (laughs) you are really good at these at pulling these things analogies good analogies Uh, yeah but i mean 
so this was also supposed to show that Haydn was taking someone on to teach and he had his hand in this piece. But what is crazy is that Beethoven had been being taught for over 15 years now by people like Gile van den Eden, Tobias Pfeiffer, and Christian Nifa. A member of the Bavarian Illuminati. Are we going to touch on it anymore? <laughs> You know, <laughs> yeah, we could touch on it just for a second. Yeah. Just for a I second. made a little, I made a little comment in the last one that we were going to talk about another secret society, and I thought maybe that was Ethan's real reason for getting us into Beethoven, because there's a whole lot of of interest in the Illuminati. Mozart was part of it. Lichnowski that we talked about was part of it, and so I said we were going to get into it at some point. But based on a complete communication breakdown we had. Before this episode started, I found out no no one had any intention of doing that. So let's breeze right past it. Just keep on going. <laughs> Wonderful. I love it. I love not touching on Illuminati shit. Uh, it was a big thing back then. Look into it. I don't know. So weird. we don't want to die. None so of us wants weird. to die. Yeah. Go check out our news show because at the last five minutes, Ethan's just going to get to talk about whatever he wants. And you know this shit's coming up at some point. The bone zone is coming. <laughs> oh, that- Train wreck is choo-chooing along. I'm here to watch it, baby. Sorry, coming. Um, but if you, if so, if you remember, Beethoven had several pieces published while he was under Nifa's instruction. So having Haydn request this was something new for Beethoven, and it was something that he would refuse to do outright. And I think this brings me to my third point about this relationship that Beethoven and Haydn had. Haydn was jealous of Beethoven and wanted to have his name associated with Beethoven in some way. Because as soon as he, but as soon as he was asked, Beethoven outright said no. Yeah, like might not have wanted to ride on his coattails per se, but you know, like skitch his way into a little secondhand praise for yeah, being dude. Beethoven's teacher. Hey, what? you know what? He made it into this episode. In he the did. last, yeah. I mean, <sighs> he made his way into yeah. history, but yeah, he knew he knew that this kid was going to be the the guy. And so he like had to figure out some way to 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 just have his name associated. And Again, father of the symphony, he was already a very prominent figure. <laughs> but you know, I mean, I feel like back then the world was so small that you could get like there are probably millions of people that were at, quite as big as Haydn, but were slightly smaller that just got lost to the noise. You know? Oh, he still gets eclipsed. Yeah, yeah. and so. So, yeah. and the only reason we're talking about him is because he dealt with Beethoven in some way. So, like, we may never do a story on Haydn himself. We should say something about Haydn. Obviously, he had great foresight. Yeah, yeah. clearly. <laughs> um, but when the pieces were published that he yeah. worked on, only one name was on them, and that was Beethoven. He was going to... Wait, what? Oh, yeah, because Haydn didn't get to show them to his mistresses. I bet he was pretty disappointed. I bet he's probably going to try to score more tail off. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. Like, Look at this piece of paper that says, it says, is <laughs> pupil of Haydn. Huh? How about oh. that? That's, that's, this <laughs> is Beethoven's like signature. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like to fornicate? Like that? Okay, let's fuck now, huh? <laughs> oh, Haydn, yeah. oh. oh, your name Gets me so mad. <laughs> just lets out a little Beethoven at the end. Mm. Mm. What's gonna? Yeah, he had his own little ode to joy. <laughs> How much of this is gonna stay in the episode? We will find out. I hope all of it. <laughs> oh, God. So shortly after his pieces came out in 1794, when things.
things had stalled for the two, with Beethoven and Haydn's relationship struggling. Haydn left left Vienna to go to London to go perform there. It was the the concert series there in London, and he had done it for a while, so he he headed to London to go take care of that. And so Beethoven was by himself, which was something of a relief for this uh, young 23-year-old. Now he could do what he pleased, and um, he did a lot. He finished up his Opus 1, which was a trio for piano, violin, and cello, which he dedicated to his roommate and the guy who helped him get things started in Vienna, Prince Karl Lichnowsky. Uh, you, you refer to him as Beethoven's roommate. I I want to say twice. I don't know why I think that, but I, I think he's more of a be- benefactor. Do they live together? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Sounds like a roommate. Roommate. <laughs> Check. Do they have to share a Check bathroom? Check in, mate, my friend. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Are they Check fight- in, mate. Are they fighting over who ate whose bread? Okay. Huh? I'm sure everyone's <laughs> fighting over bread constantly. Are they trying yeah. to split their grocery bill? Okay. They're roommates. All right. Yeah. They're roommates okay. first, and then, all- and then sugar daddy and sugar baby second. He was his patron. That was a common thing I saw. Yeah, there yeah. you go. I'm wrong. So Beethoven, you know, I admit it. Okay. <laughs> oh, no, no. Lizhnovsky funded everything for Beethoven for a long ass time. Yeah, he he forked so, over a few florins. You could be two things. You could. I suppose. Things. I suppose. Yeah. Beethoven also wrote his Opus Two, a sonata, which he did dedicate. Uh, this one to Joseph Haydn. So Haydn got a half win there. I'd say that's like a quarter win. All right. <laughs> all right. If you want to say that, that's okay. <laughs> he wrote... I just want to be a contrarian. That's all I want. <laughs> he wrote two concertos and he got some heavy leg work done on three other sonatas. Haydn gets a little stab in it, Beethoven, in regards to one of these pieces, but I don't want to spoil anything in case Tony gets into it. I do. I know you do. I've read it. <laughs> so well, this is some next so. level uh, teasing i don't know i like it you're playing confused but you're not but um, the audience is and i like to break the what, fourth what, wall a little bit yeah that's fun <laughs> uh so i want to take two minutes right now to really break down the differences between the things i just said the sonatas the concertos the symphonies everything like that i want to break it down we hear the words but a lot of people myself included just thought they all basically meant music obviously i knew that they didn't and we all know they didn't because they're different words but you know so a sonata is a a solo piece consisting of one to four movements, which are essentially songs. When the people, when the movements are played in concert, they're played back to back, and there is a break between them. But the audience is not supposed to clap between movements. Um, a sonata can be any instrument; it's not just a piano. A concerto is a piece for a soloist, again, of any instrument that's backed by someone else. This can be something as simple as a solo accompaniment to a whole orchestra backing the soloist. And lastly is the symphony. This is the big one. It consists of movements like the sonata, but it is meant for multiple instruments. Um, obviously, whole whole, whole bands, basically. And obviously. the orchestra... Uh, and the orchestra music for any one instrument is called a suite. So like for just the violins, their music is the suite. Uh, oh, and then uh, the opus, it just means work number. And it's basically just a way to catalog the composer's pieces. And uh, if you'd like to be uh, a part of our new NPR program, it's called uh, Musical Pieces with Austin, Tony, and Ethan on Thursdays. That, you know, the more you know, come come join us on Spotify. Uh, that is absolutely 100% not true. We are in prime fake it till you make it mode right now. You faked it real, real good. Thank you. You Thank did. You. 
I was going to make a sex joke. <laughs> just <didn't. laughs> um, so to look to, 19, to 1794, Beethoven had composed something like 50 pieces of music in the 11 years that he had been composing and was considered the top musician in all of Vienna at this point, which was, again, the musical capital of Europe. Pretty impressive. 24 years old. 24. 24. Austin's like 30, and he barely has a job. <laughs> I've, I've done nothing. <laughs> I've done nothing worth showing anyone. Oh, my God. I think I was having a kid at 24. I think that's what I was doing. I think... I don't know what else. Which was a... I mean, it's cool. Which was an accident. No, no, no. The first one was on purpose. The first one was on purpose. Ah, uh, okay. I know. It's, it's the, the military, one. baby. Get that free baby. Shh, don't tell Sully. A little bit. A little bit <laughs> Sully, of thank you for listening. Um, but the, the thing that he had not yet done in Vienna was perform publicly. He had performed countless times in homes and like at soirees and stuff like that, but he had never had his own rehearsed, publicized performance in a hall. He, I mean, in Vienna, he had done it once uh, when he was seven, if you remember, when his father forced him to do it. Uh, but mm-hmm. Karl Lishnovsky fixed the fact that he had never done it in Vienna, and he fixed it right. He didn't, he didn't get drunk and force him to do it and lie about his age and everything like that. He booked Beethoven at the Burg Theater. Uh, that just looks like Burger Theater to me. Uh, it's not, Ethan. You uncultured swine. I mean, it does I guess. It kind of looks like Burger Theater. Uh, the way that I the way that I looked it up, I just type, would type it in and type in you know like Burg Theater pronunciation, and then it would come up. If you ever want to find something pretty funny, go look up the Burg Burg Theater Theater pronunciation because if you know anything about typo negative, it sounds exactly like Peter Steele would say it. It's wow. the laziest person I've ever heard. Say that. <laughs> it's like you click on it and then it's a silent. It's a second and it's like. It's very good. It like has to be a little snooty. Yeah. <laughs> there it is. It's very good. Uh, go as if you as if you couldn't be bothered to take a full <laughs> breath. Yeah. Yeah. He was doing it as he walked out the door. He was like, uh, Steve, we got one more. <laughs> oh great wow. uh, yeah, no, the, the, the Björk Theater was one of the most prestigious theaters in Vienna which Lishnovsky booked for March 25th 1795 where Beethoven would perform his second piano concerto opus 19 it would be Beethoven on the piano and he would be backed by a full orchestra Though he had been working on this piece for something like six years at this point, he continued to rework parts until literally the last minute. This is something he was like notorious for, well known for, but a lot of people, it bothered a lot of people. We're about to get into it. Oh, it's a really shitty thing to do. Turns really out, inconvenient. <laughs> yeah, giving people music just up until the very last minute was horrible. The music was changing day to day for the orchestra. So every rehearsal, they were getting a new piece of music and alterations and everything like that. So they'd have to learn it and then relearn it up until the day of the performance, literally to the point where they were standing in the halls under the stage and there were copiers finishing up the music to give to the performers as they started walking out. So technically the piece that they were playing on stage was they'd play, they, that's Brand the piece new. they were playing for the first time. Yeah. Imagine the kind of hostile work environment. That's a work environment that that would make yeah. between Beethoven and them. That would, yeah. oh man. Yeah. <laughs> just every day they'd come in, they'd be like, He'd be like, uh, just so you know, I changed like this, 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 and this. So you need to relearn it. I think you're giving Beethoven some credit here. I think he probably just changed it. They got <laughs> Didn't it, even and tell him. It, 
And then if they messed it up, he would be so pissed. And then he'd be pissed. Yeah. Yeah. (sighs) Pretty nuts. Make things worse. Uh, Beethoven found out the day before the performance, so March 24th, that the piano he was going to be using was a semitone flat. But instead of getting someone to fix the piano, retune it, he just went ahead and rewrote his entire suite up a semitone to fix it. Ripes! Changing the tuning of the whole song rather than just... (laughs) Getting it tuned. Ah, yeah. Pretty great. <laughs> I, who knows, what, I don't know, who knows what it was like to get a tuner back then, you know? I mean, you got to no, get a no, person. He, he didn't change the song. Uh, this this is this is a testament to Beethoven. So so this, he would have had to change everyone else's part down a semitone. So instead, he rewrote his entire parts up a semitone to match everyone else's. Oh, so he didn't change anyone else's. He only changed his. Jesus. Correct. Yeah. Oh. Again, could have just had the piano tuned. Could have yeah. Either way. Still, still could have got yeah. it tuned. <laughs> yeah. And while all of this was happening, Beethoven was suffering from horrible stomach pains, likely an ulcer the entire time. Swafford's book uh, said that he suffered a large majority of his life, most likely from what is known today as Crohn's disease. And apparently his, his stomach and bowel issues were a really big thing that he dealt with. Yeah, IBS is no joke. Yeah. I had friends who had irritable bowel syndrome, and it is terrible. A lot of, lot of talk of diarrhea in the book. A lot of diarrhea yeah. talk. That's so fun. Yeah. So, oh, diarrhea God. in the 1790s is like a death sentence. Yeah. You probably just thought you had dysentery. Mm. Yeah, that's so scary. Yeah, that's worse. You die. It's like easy to shit yourself to death. <laughs> like was not a hard thing. <laughs> it's uncomfortably easy. <laughs> Good um, Lord. So when the performance came, from what we know, it went off without a hitch. There wasn't much written about this performance, but we're going off the assumption that no news is good news here. It was played two nights in a row, and then the next night, Beethoven played a performance of the late Mozart's music, which was actually set up by Mozart's widow, and that also went off well. That had to be extremely humbling to have Mozart's widow actually help with the organization of it. Yeah. Yeah. But that's, that's also, cool. again, that's also a testament that, like, the 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 person like his wife was like i want you to perform my late husband's yeah, music yeah i'm sure he was pinned mm-hmm. yeah at 24 years old awesome yeah. god so after these performances he went back to his smaller little soirees and party performances but when his mentor joseph haydn came back from london beethoven who was excited that he was back because like through all of this it's not like they hated each other or anything like that yeah, I I think Beethoven definitely respected Haydn as a musician, but he wanted it to be known that he was not under him in any way. Yeah, yeah, and you'll see the, this story right here kind of really displays his 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 respect and like his his need for for Haydn's respect. So he asked mm-hmm. Lishnovsky to set up a party so that he could perform his newly published Opus One for Haydn. It was all set up, and Haydn agreed to come watch. And it actually became quite the event when Lishnovsky invited all the top people in Vienna to come as well. The whole opus, played front to back, was approximately 90 minutes long, which is exhausting for a 63-year-old man who had just got done traveling. So after the audience and Haydn sat through the entire thing, Beethoven ran over to ask Haydn what he thought. Haydn said that Beethoven did an excellent job, gave him tons and tons of praise, and then he said that the third movement did need a little bit of work and he should revise it before he gets it published. There it is. Here it is. That little stab of revenge. Just right in the back. Just a little bit. A little just, a, just a pinprick. Yeah. 
And Beethoven was furious at this. And the others in the audience found what Haydn had said hard to believe as well, because they said the third movement was actually the strongest out of the three, which kind of seems like a dig at the first two movements, but I guess they're, I don't know. I don't know. But the Haydn- You're wrong, man. This one is like way better than the other two, dude. Like other two kind of suck, honestly, dude. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Read into fucking it. Fucking wrong, dude. <laughs> yeah, fucking dude. Are you kidding? <laughs> <laughs> so though Beethoven, this was this was kind of the, the last nail in the coffin. Though Haydn's and Beethoven's relationships as musicians continued, their time as pupil and master was basically done, and Beethoven was fully on his own. God, you got to know that because of how well the crowd reacted, it had to feel like such a low blow to Beethoven. Yeah. Yeah, and I just don't think he cared about what the audience thought. I think he thought cared about what Haydn thought, and that was it. Definitely, yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. And I don't think that Haydn like was a bad guy. I think that he just really was so scared that this kid was going to knock him off the map. So he, like, he worked so so hard for decades. As Austin said, he's the father of the symphony, and he was being shown up by this kid in his early twenties. Both books and the audio and the lecture I listened to and everything all really reaffirmed that the symphony would not be what it currently is without Haydn. Like he, I keep pressing this back, but he was a huge figure at the time. So he was yeah. held really high. And now this kid just completely outshines him to the point where he's like an afterthought. It's got to hurt a little bit. Yeah, man. He's, he's Stockholm syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> trying to beat him to keep him around. I don't think that, I don't yeah. think that's Stockholm no, syndrome. That, 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 yeah, that's where you, you mistreat them and then they eventually love you, right? But that's from, that's, Stockholm syndrome is from the victim's point of view. Yeah, I, yeah, I guess he's, he's, <laughs> I he's the oppressor. Yeah, bad analogy. Nathan, you're looking a little Keep pale. Going. Are you all right? You're please, sweaty please, over there. Please cut that this. Was... Please cut this. <laughs> <laughs> as he was on his own as a composer, he was also alone as a lover. He was an admirer of women, always had been, but he had never had much luck with them. He wrote a lot of very wordy letters to women. I don't know why, but that read with such an ominous undertone the first time. Yeah, man. Uh, Sounds like you're making Beethoven like... He wrote a lot of very wordy letters to women. Pop on his fedora and like pull the, the nice guy like... Oh, yeah, you really go like with a, all those 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 douchebags. Yeah, you've got to... Re- I'm reading this like he's some kind of internet reply guy, you know? answers every single post someone puts every selfie with like a huge paragraph it's really (laughs) creepy uh nice wordy letters plenty of (laughs) words in there (laughs) he had feelings for a lot of the women that he saw including one of the van bruning children he he was living with when he was living with them but like most of his feelings they were always unreciprocated which is what um, which would slowly take a toll on Beethoven. He proposed to her randomly and she mm. told everyone that she turned him down because he was so ugly and half crazy, which that stings a little bit. But I'm sure he was weird as shit. And uh, the the person and then the person that this woman ends up marrying, the one we're talking about, is Beethoven's best friend. So uh-huh. oh, Wiggler. Wiggler, I barely knew her. (laughs) (laughs) But a more pressing issue in this moment was happening in the spring of 1794, which was that he was getting some company in Vienna from his two brothers, Carl and Johann Jr. Moving there, permanent, not visiting. Permanent. (laughs) Just coming to stay with him. 
Didn't like them. <laughs> coming to stay. Didn't ask. Didn't ask. They just said, we're they coming. Just, they yep. just, hey, Beethoven, nope. Ludwig, Ludwig, we're coming to stay with you, brother. <laughs> yeah, Beethoven in the attic by himself in freaking Lushnovsky's place. And then his two brothers are like, we brought everything. We, we stay, too. <laughs> My kids, everything. We're here. Yeah. Beethoven we, we, was. We have some minivan out back, but we, and I popped to the, the, the back. If you could help us get some of our bags off I'm of the office at Lager Track. I'm trying to get to the point where I say that Carl is like, Cousin Eddie, because I'm very excited for that. So let's get to it. Uh, Beethoven was never close to his brothers, uh, and he hadn't seen them since he left Bonn. So he was not loving the idea of having them in Vienna with him. Um, I think that he didn't like his brothers very much because his brothers got to leave a fair, lead a fairly normal childhood because they weren't extraordinary. So because they were just normal kids, they got to be normal kids, whereas Beethoven, as we've talked about, was not a normal kid, so he had to practice and study and do all that all the time. Can make a real disconnect with his siblings. So oh, yeah. he didn't he didn't like him very much. He had this new life here in Vienna, and with Carl and Johann coming back, this was his old life coming back to haunt him. Johann was a pharmacist and a decent one at that, finding a very um, specific and somewhat traitor-esque niche later in life, but we're going to touch on that in a later episode. Tony, your definition of somewhat right here is incredibly loose. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I don't know. Everyone's Just the, completely the, turned sides. Everyone's the hero in their own story, so. I suppose you're right. I suppose you're right. Uh, but the one that's going to stay in our story here is the bigger screw-up of the two, Carl. Carl and his very, very poor decisions. <laughs> just like everything he does just is the wrong thing to do. It's great. Yep. Yes. Yeah, so he was a very subpar musician. He was a, he was worse than his father, Johan, um, and he really had nothing go, going for him. Like I said, think of Cousin Eddie from Christmas Vacation, just pulling up in the RV and like, Warren Clark, shitter's full. Like, that's Carl. That's Carl right there. He came to town. and you serious, quick- Clark? <laughs> you serious, Clark? <laughs> he quickly decided that he was going to make himself Beethoven's pseudo manager. And basically, what he did is he fielded, uh, he fielded like calls from not calls, but he fielded interactions from people who wanted him to play, and just like turned a lot of them down. He was like, <laughs> Beethoven will not play for you. He he will not play. And Beethoven's like, I gotta, I gotta eat, man. Like, what are you doing? I, <laughs> What are you doing? I, I that was I could have played for him. I could have gotten us food for like a month. What the fuck are you doing? I didn't, I didn't hire you to turn down every possibility. I, I didn't hire you at all. I didn't even hire you. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why. Jelly in a month club. Uh, Beethoven was instantly Is that a Seinfeld reference. <laughs> that's a that's a Christmas vacation reference. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. You're right. Yeah. Oh, Instead shit. of the in ground pool from the huge yep. bonus, he gets the jelly of the month. The jelly of the month. Fuck. Oh. If my boss was here right now. God, I haven't watched Christmas Vacation in a minute. It's been a long time. Shitter's full. Shitter's full. It's not a Christmas movie. It's you can watch it year round. It's that. That's good. true. That's true. <laughs> um, Beethoven was instantly annoyed that his brother was there like but luckily the person we've talked about time and time again prince lesnovsky again leapt in to save the day lesnovsky who was acting as beethoven's actual manager set beethoven up with a tour across europe and lesnovsky decided to go with him uh himself and when prince lesnovsky goes out he goes all out he made sure Mm -hmm. that beethoven and by association himself was well taken care of everywhere they went 
and he only played at the nicest places and for the highest members of society everywhere he was. And at one point, he even played for the Elector of Saxony, and he composed multiple pieces for the King of Prussia, who himself was a musician. Fun fact number two, at one point, Lishnovsky actually held the title of Prince of Prussia, and I share another fun fact, third <laughs> birthday with Prince Lifshnoski. Wow. I like, no I like my, my facts fun and in groups of three. So thank you yep. so much for that. You're welcome. Those are you good stood facts. and delivered. <laughs> so people loved Beethoven and he hated the people he played for. I will say, I, I say, hey, I don't think he hated them. I think he just didn't care about any of it. I think he just wanted to play and, and compose and whatever. Like He's he just would, a dick in general. And he, right here. Yeah. yeah. So he would play these like, I mean, you've all heard them, the pieces he comes up with. He would play these amazing pieces that would bring whole crowds to tears. And then when he was done, he would just openly stand up and mock him for being so moved by the music. Like he would just yell at him. He was really, yep. he was really a treat. Yeah. I yep. am just imagining him just like standing up in front of everyone. He's like, why are you all crying? But stop blubbering. What are you doing? Why? <laughs> laughing at them the whole time. That is that Why? is more accurate than even what you're portraying. That's exactly yeah, what happened. That's almost exactly from the book. Yeah. So. You just stand up and laugh directly at him, all these crying people. And he's like, Why are you blubbering? Right in their face. He called them spoiled children sometimes, was was in the book. <laughs> just right to these high-ranking people's faces. Incredible oh, but you're so moved by this amazing piece I wrote and you're just going to cry about it? Oh, why don't I go ahead you know and take a cry? shit on the piano? Would you love that too, you pieces of garbage? <laughs> you know what else would make you cry? You want your dad to beat your hands while you play the piano? Because that's what I did. I am a slave to the music. It's too real. You guys, you guys breached a weird... It got dark. Yeah. It got dark. Crossed some kind of threshold I'm not really into. After a few months of traveling around with Lishnovsky, they headed back to Vienna, both better off financially, and Beethoven having completed more pieces and performed at some of the highest and most incredible places around the continent. Things were continuing to look up for this guy. He was the musician in the most magical, in the most musical place in all of Europe. Uh, he was pretty already magical. Re pretty magical. He yeah. was already yeah. regarded as the best composer in the area. Shit in the streets. Disease. <laughs> <laughs> Magical. The French are coming. Magical. Uh, please continue, Tony. I apologize. <laughs> no, I, I need this. I need the scenery painted for the people. I need to know that that while he's playing these pieces, just thousands of people are dying every day from tuberculosis like, and yep. all that. Actual revolution is happening. There are wars fought, being fought right now. <laughs> it's great. It's great. So while he was beautiful, while he time. was the composer in the area. He had not yet at this point completed a single symphony and friend uh, like just, that's just nuts because symphonies were the piece that everyone kind of looks at. It's like, you know, the main piece for people. But he was friends with some of the highest royalty in the area, which helped. Like Tony said, like this is not that different of a story than the other ones we've told. He's an actual rock star in his time and only has more incredible work to do. Like somebody should write a, a book about this guy. I do wish more musicians after they played like really, really touching pieces. Like, could you imagine if Enya played like, who can say where the road? And then like afterwards, she's like, 
Fuck you guys. Like, go you, eat dicks. You baby back bitches. <laughs> Stop fucking crying. Jesus Christ. It's just a song. That's what I need from my concerts. That's what's missing. After COVID's God. over and festivals are back open, I need more humiliation. Oh, to start the ridiculing your audience. Uh, yeah, start. When they cry, ridicule them. It's Hell funny yeah. for us. <laughs> to be great. Thank you. Thank you for taking our tip. But in the summer of 1797, Things began to change for Beethoven, slowly at first, but it was something that would affect him for the rest of his life. At the age of 26, Ludwig von Beethoven began to lose his hearing. This is definitely something that I remember being mentioned as a kid, but as an adult with a better understanding of music, it just makes him so much more incredible because despite this extreme adversity that he's suffering through, he continues to write music we don't forget. (laughs) None. It's bizarre is the word. You are like, yeah, absolutely correct. Yeah. yeah, when you're kids and you learn about Beethoven, you learn like the basic simple things and it's like, and Beethoven was deaf. Isn't that crazy? And it's like, that's oh, neat. It's crazy. Recess. But like now, <laughs> now it's like, oh, he lost. We said in the first episode, he loses the sense that you need to compose music and he continued to compose music his entire life. Like, yeah, it's just yeah. absolutely insane. Like that's crazy. Like, like, I, can't, I can't even imagine like like he'd be able to like hear something and be like this note is this, this note is this that I hear in my head. I can't really actually hear it, but here it you is. You don't get the reassurance, the positive reinforcement of yeah. hearing it back. You, yeah. just, you don't get to hear your you work anymore. Just it's gone. Be sure it's right. Oh, oh we'll and talk. It's, what yeah. do you think? We'll talk about it in later episodes because his hearing obviously gets so bad that he can't hear anything. He eventually like plays notes and and then like holds the notes against him. So that he feels the vibration, and that's how he can figure out the tone. And recognizes the yeah, vibration. Jesus Jesus insane. Like, this, this, him going deaf plays a huge factor in his life. But it is just unbelievably incredible how little it slowed him down. Like he just continued to compose music throughout all of this. It's nuts. Yep. There's so there's no definitive answer with what caused his deafness, with theories ranging from syphilis to lead poisoning to a theory that he destroyed his ears because he would stick his head into ice cold water to wake himself back up when he was really tired burning the midnight oil. Um literally in this case because it was the 1700s. But the <laughs> most thank you. Uh, but the hey most yo. common theory is that Beethoven caught typhus fever, a fever spread by fleas which they uh, get from animals like cats and rats. Kind of like the bubonic plague, which was another old-timey disease. Yeah, exactly, yeah. With normal treatment, typhus has the same symptoms as the stomach flu with vomiting, chills, cough, stomach pains, and a small rash, but it can be treated with simple medications, and it's a pretty minor deal. But if it's left untreated, it can cause damage to various organs and body parts. And for Beethoven, that body part was his ears. And Beethoven was a notoriously bad patient, according to Swafford. Before mm-hmm. all of this, he yeah, he would like not stick to any medication regimens, and then he would get pissed at his doctors when something didn't work right away, even though he wasn't <laughs> sticking to it. Yeah. But that is going to yeah. change. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Research uh, Researchers also don't agree on an exact day uh, that he began to realize that this was happening, because I don't think anybody actually knows. Even a, a, the most they know is that there was a six month gap between Beethoven writing to anyone or being seen in public. So they're guessing that it's during this time that he realized that something was going on. 
And as Austin said, Beethoven was never someone who bothered with trying to figure out what was going on with himself. And the only friend that he would confide in about medical issues, Dr. Franz Wegeler, was away in Bonn. And it would be quite some time before it would be mentioned to him. So for at least six months, Beethoven was alone in his apartment trying to figure out what the hell was the ringing in his ears. And he did just about everything he could to try and fix them before finally uh, conceding that he was, in fact, going deaf. But that would be quite some time. Uh, So what he would do for now is he would try everything like warm baths to cold baths to almond oils being dropped directly into his ears to more extreme ideas like galvanism, which is the act of taking electrical pulses and putting them directly on a person's specific body parts meant to contract the muscles. Uh, of the spot where the current touches, which I don't think that works. It just sounds like you're trying to bring a body back to life. <laughs> but one of the things he did was what I think is the most I- bizarre idea I've ever heard. Like, Tony, like 60 years ago, people thought you could cut out part of your brain to just make someone think better. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're we are really dumb when we're left unchecked. Mm. I mean... We're talking about Austria right now, and I think in the 1940s, some pretty awful stuff happened left unchecked in Austria then. No, that wasn't really in the name of science, though. Like, that was in the name uh, of I something think Mag- else I think, with science I think Mangala was it. doing science. Ma- like was I doing said, science. in the name of something else with a big old science stamp on it. Like, <laughs> yeah. this is, uh, this is why I'm doing it. The umbrella <laughs> of science. Uh, <laughs> umbrella of science. <laughs> Almost like an excuse. Everyone is the hero uh, in their own story, Austin. Mangala definitely thought he was the hero, didn't <laughs> Jesus. he? So what they did is they soaked the bark of the Daphne Miserium plant, a poisonous plant native throughout Europe, which has small berries that give the sensation of choking when it's eaten. I think we have them in America, too. And everyone says, oh, don't eat those berries because they're poisonous. Whatever. I think that's basically, huh. yeah, that's basically the same thing. <laughs> and it's got bark that uh, irritates the skin when it is touched. So what they did is they wrapped the bark, they soaked the bark in water, and then they wrapped it around Beethoven's arms like, and then proceeded to let to the, the bark where they dry. Thought this would which be good therapy for anything. Like it worked one time and they're like, "Oh yeah, we got to keep doing this." <laughs> yeah. What was the time that it worked? Like what <laughs> no, what did they do? They were, they were no, this is what they did. They put they wrapped the bark around him and then they were like, "Well, He's screaming, but he has not mentioned his ears in quite some time, so I think we fixed him. Here's, here's, here's what I think, right? So trees do not have ears, huh? Okay? Are you following me? Yes. The trees cannot lose their hearing, so maybe if we make him a tree, he won't lose his hearing. Huh. Are you following me here? Trees, Anybody miss me? Trees have bark. And barking is a noise, and so if we bark him, he will bark. Clearly, if you can make a noise, you can hear the noise. So this is what we're going to do. Huh? We are doctors. This is feeling really like a Monty Python sketch in a lot of ways. We're taking some liberties with this one. <laughs> oh, wonderful. We're mature. We're mature. It's fun. It's really fun to do, and I'm just going to do it. 
<laughs> yes. So Beethoven had a poisonous plant known for its skin irritant directly on his skin for extended periods of time. As the bark would dry, the irritated arms would start to blister, and then the doctors would like oh cut out God. the blisters, and that <sighs> was supposed to help with his hearing loss. That's, that's actually probably when the screaming started. You can see the you could draw the I, line directly from his blisters to. Yeah, his I actually do see what they're going for here now. <laughs> it works. It works. Yeah, I, I mean, according to Beethoven, it apparently made the ringing in his ears slightly less, but. I'm sure what actually happened is he just couldn't feel the ringing in his ears because he was in a shitload of pain, and uh-huh. it's, it, it, that's all that he had to deal with for a while was just how much pain he was in. He's missing parts of his armpit. <laughs> yeah. 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 And uh, it actually was so bad that he stopped from playing and composing for a little while because of the pain. And in long term, it did absolutely nothing. Yeah, seem- seemingly nothing other than slow him down. <laughs> slow him down, yeah. <laughs> if anything, it hindered him as a person and not, but not his ailment. Yeah, so. so. That's great. That's great. Yeah, so he was deaf and also had horrible skin blisters and, and irritated arm. Like, and he's missing parts well, of his armpit for the rest of his life. You don't do skin grafts back then. I mean, it's this fine. This is a real probably fuckery, huh? Didn't, probably didn't grow armpit hair anymore. Could be a plus. Yeah. You yeah. are weirdly stuck on his armpits yeah. right now. It's gone. It's gone. <laughs> yeah, man. Degree wasn't invented for another 30 years, so actually it was good to get rid of his armpits. There's no armpits. No stinky armpits. That's right. Think about that. Degree, extreme blast. Keeps me dry all day. Keeps the smell away. I use Old Spice, you (laughs) fucking pleb. (laughs) I also use Old Spice. I'm sorry. Uh, Austin used Axe until well into college. so Yeah, way longer than I ever should have. But you did smell nice, and you did get no women So (laughs) Hey, I got told I smelled good at least. But yeah, you're still, yeah, you're right. That's just great. Um, So, (laughs) outside of the doctors who tried to help Beethoven, he told no one about what was going on for quite some time. Still going out and playing. Once once he kind of came to terms with the fact that his his ears were ringing, he went back out, realized he needed to keep going. So, he did plenty of composing as well, even completing his first big one, his first of nine symphonies, which in true Beethoven form uh, starts with a joke by playing this. Oh, also, it's really old record, so it sounds terrible. Did you catch it? catch the joke no hilarious no <laughs> no i didn't Fucking classic just the fact that it played just those notes and there was the weird gaps apparent that's that's uncommon for a symphony to start with that playing those two notes and then pausing uh so that's his joke that's the whole joke not much hilarious. of a, not not much of a joke not much of a joke wow. by today's standards. Um, Comedy has changed a lot. Yeah, I guess you could say that. Uh, yeah, not not even not even on par with our hilarious selves. But back in 1800, when it was released, it was very comical, and I'm sure it killed. I think it's funny as hell. <laughs> I think it's funny as hell. Oh, classic, classic Beethoven. But uh, it was a, this this was a pretty. <clears throat> non-traditional revolutionary piece of music his first symphony starting out with this bizarre piece or this bizarre intro and things like that so 
you know, he's already taking the reins, taking the horse by the reins and doing his own thing with the music, which is good for him. Well, while this is like a joke, it really does harken back to what I said in the first one. Like he was writing for himself. He was writing what he wanted to hear. And it was damn, damn you if you don't want to hear it. Oh, this will be very funny. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, man. Just between screams, just, oh, wait a second. If I just write down this harmony and then take a point. I just stop. I just stop. (laughs) I just stop. They will will never know. It'll be so funny. Very comfortable with the German accent in this episode. I like it. (laughs) Uh, To our listeners in Germany, let us know how our accent is. And please thank you for making it this far in while still doing it. Yeah, you you really thank you. You're troopers. (laughs) Not. Not, not like that. That kind not of like, Not like SS. That's not, not funny. Yeah, we're not like that. No. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Wow. No, we're going to get caged. <laughs> yeah, we're, uh, we're done. And while he was I'll still... Call it, I'll cut it. I'll probably cut it. I might cut it. Please no, don't. 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 Uh, and while he was still playing in salons for wealthy patrons when he could, and as we talked about in episode one, one of the things that Beethoven was best at was his very impressive improv skills. There's a quote in Swafford's book from uh, Johann Baptiste Kramer, who we, we haven't covered yet, but I'm guessing we will eventually. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was from Kramer to his students. If you haven't heard Beethoven improvise, you have never heard improvisation at all. And the book described him as being on his way to becoming the supreme piano virtuoso of Europe before Beethoven came on the scene. So... This this really shows you the level of bees improvising. Jeez. Yeah, this guy was the Ryan Styles. <sighs> yeah, seriously. Yeah, uh, yeah. He's this like a the, he's the like a Ryan Way- Styles Colin Mockery hybrid. Wayne Brady, all of them <laughs> oh, mixed man. into one. And I, then on I love Wayne Brady, man. He can <laughs> yeah. do no wrong. Like he was on oh. he was on uh, he was on that show with the the, the mass singer. He's a mass singer and it's so good. He's a very good yeah, singer. He's so good. He's a funny man and yeah. he's a very he's a very good singer. Oh. He's a triple threat, man. Yeah. Triple I'm watching I'm watching who's line oh. as soon as we're off of this. Line. Oh, I'm finding God. a way and I'm watching it. <laughs> There's not even a cabinet in here. Um, <laughs> that is, so he, fa- have I told you that's my favorite thing <laughs> from there? So funny. It's so funny. <laughs> There isn't even a cabinet in here. That's the best thing I've ever seen on that show. (laughs) So Beethoven could play whatever, whenever. And the most prominent case of this is when he wiped the floor with another musician, Daniel Stiebelt of Berlin. Stiebelt was regarded as one of the best. And when a friend of Beethoven heard Stiebelt play, he thought he could be a match for Beethoven's skill. And so Beethoven agreed to go to a party that another wealthy aristocrat, Count von Frey, was throwing where Stiebelt was playing. If you remember, like we said in episode one, Beethoven didn't react very well to um, to praise, but he reacted very well. Uh, by, by that, I mean it got him fired up when people said that there was someone who was good as good as him. He had mm-hmm. to prove that he was the best at all times. So, oh, yeah. Yes. Um, so Stiebelt was playing accompanied by a clarinet and a cello, and Beethoven agreed that he would play as well. The musicians were given Beethoven's music, and they played his song with him. Then Stiebelt played his music with the musicians. After Stiebelt finished, the room was impressed, and everyone thought that Beethoven had been bested that night. And just to add a little bit to this story, at the first meeting, Stiebelt made a point of acting really distracted and uninterested while Beethoven was playing his piece. And then 
at the end offered a few compliments that were super clearly meant to be condescending and yeah yeah and if we know anything about beethoven we know the fastest way to get something truly incredible out of him is to piss him off and he leaves this extremely pissed yeah he left and immediately called for a rematch he knew that it was on so a Mm -hmm. week later they met up again and this time stybelt went first and he again played with the musicians he played his own piece then at the end he improvised a little bit but he improvised off the theme that Beethoven had played at their first meeting, which really pissed Beethoven off. And I guess this was like shocking. Like people gasped when he started improvising on Beethoven's oh. theme. Like people yeah, knew man. this was going to be something. This is an effing rap battle. And like, yeah. seriously, they are for the throat right now. Just the, just the, 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 juxtaposition of just like this highbrow meeting where it's like <laughs> but then everyone is like oh, oh shit oh, oh shit oh, oh, my. My. <laughs> yeah what is this man doing oh man yeah it got dirty real quick so when Stybelt was done Beethoven got up and went to the piano but on the way he grabbed the cello music that Stybelt had played or that the musician had played with Stybelt. And this was Stybelt's own song. So Beethoven got to the piano. He flipped the piece over. So he was playing it from the bottom of the page to the top. And, and he, he made it very clear he was flipping. Like he did it a big gesture of it. <laughs> yeah. And he began to improvise off the cello piece that he had flipped over. He began playing the piece literally. So it was upside down notes. And the result, the result was obviously terrible. But then... He began to improvise off of that and began to take the theme and began to play beautifully and intensely and angrily and delicately. (coughs) He imitated and mocked Stybelt's playing and tore his music apart bit by bit until Stybelt was completely humiliated. Stybelt left while Beethoven was still playing and he never spoke to Beethoven again and he was never invited to play in Vienna again. He made a point of saying, if I am ever invited back to Vienna again, Beethoven will not be present. So, you know, they just never asked him to come back. <laughs> Guess what? <laughs> they were like, this is going to be easier. Never heard of Stybelt. They're like, okay, thanks for telling us that. It makes it easy. <laughs> yeah. He erased yeah. his name from history despite this one story. That's all he got. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Yep. Beethoven was truly the musical king and his throne was untouchable. But... <laughs> With the love of the city behind him, he was still missing one thing, the love of a woman. As I said before, this guy had cruddy luck when it came to women, and we will continue to say it because he continued to have it. Through this entire series, he will continue to fail. So Beethoven wrote to his good friend, Stefan von Bruning, the son of Helen von Bruning, the mother who took him in when he was a child. They remained close friends for life. In a letter on June 29th, 1801, Beethoven wrote for the first time that he was in fact struggling with his hearing. And this was four years after he began noticing that something was wrong. But even more important than that, Beethoven wrote to von Bruning about a girl he was courting. The girl just didn't know that she was being courted yet, (laughs) which is fun. My lady, Uh, the Mm. woman (laughs) was one of the people who he was giving lessons to, Countess Juliette Gucciardi who was just 16 at the time. And to put that into perspective, Beethoven was 30. 
But oh. I guess age was mm. less of a factor 200 years ago. Oh, I think it needed to be. It I, I definitely think it needed to be. Yeah. That's, <laughs> we're getting into some Alanis and Uncle Joey. No matter what year it is, it's problematic. <laughs> yep. yeah, I, yeah, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, I don't like it. <laughs> so, so... Juliet praise Beethoven a lot here, but I don't like that. I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, that's not gonna that's not gonna fly in my book. Uh, so Julieta came from a kind of royal bloodline, but like she wasn't really royalty by any means, and she was actually seen as a lower class person than Beethoven. But he didn't care, and truthfully, this was something that he never cared about. Like he never felt that he had to marry someone at at above him or even at the same quote unquote level as him. Like, class didn't really matter to him. But as famous and as highly regarded as Beethoven was in Vienna, it didn't matter much to the Gacciardi family. Giulietta and even her mother were in favor of this marriage, but her father said no outright, adding to it that Beethoven was, quote, a man without rank, fortune, or permanent engagement. And remember, Beethoven had played and composed for royalty all over Europe. He had princes and emperors and electors on his side. And this guy, who is a civil servant of the Austro-Bohemian court chancellery in Vienna, basically an officer for the chancellor, said that Beethoven was below his daughter's standards. And in a in a letter from Beethoven to Wiggler, he said that she was below his, his station, so it wouldn't work. So a lot of different opinions on who's where in life. But no matter what I do, I don't like it. Don't, don't like, like it. it. It's just not good. <laughs> just don't like it. She's 16. It's just not cool. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. I was going to make a joke there, but I think I'm just going to go ahead yeah. and not and just keep yeah. moving. Just yeah. like don't the like right it. thing to do. Uh, so by this point, it was common knowledge that he was losing his hearing. So I imagine that Julietta's father thought that his career as a composer was going to be coming to an end very shortly because of the ailment, which added fuel to the fire of uh, her not being with him. Because if he wasn't composing music, he could do nothing else. So if Julietta and Beethoven don't end up together, why is she important in our story? Well, after the rejection... Actually very important. I don't like it, but it's very important. We're about to play you why. Yeah. After the rejection, (laughs) Beethoven wrote a piece and dedicated it to her. That piece, Piano Sonata Number 14, a.k.a. Moonlight Sonata. Here it is. You can just hear the sadness. Yeah, such a breaks my heart, man. Like, if the story is true, that that she reciprocated his feelings, and then and then he they couldn't be together. Like, you could just hear. The, the sadness in this music like it's that just, story is in this song yeah yeah like that is what you, yeah perfectly and Why? i'm just gonna let the song play out for the rest of the episode because we're gonna we're gonna end it soon this is it's just the perfect sad ending and we can play God. music as much as we want so yeah soak it in baby Do it. soak it in so can't get sued by a dead guy one of the most famous pieces ever written in human history about this woman julietta Guccardi. So, about this child 
16 year old child. About this child. She could drive. She could drive. Jesus. Uh, yeah, with a. You know what she probably a, drove? She probably what, drove carriage? a Hyundai Sonata. Oh. Hmm. oh. Okay. Thank Dad's you. here. Thank you. Thank Dad. You. Dad. Dad's staying up late. <laughs> <laughs> so, how did Beethoven handle this rejection, his failing hearing, and the growing demand of the uh, being one of the biggest musicians in all of Europe? You're, how? you're just gonna have to come back for the next episode of On and Five to find out. Come back, please. <laughs> That's it. I act mad, but I I can't wait to see you guys again next next time. I love so, this you know, series so much. Yes, <laughs> I'm having a great time. This is the most learning a lot compelling series we've done for yeah. even if nobody else likes it for us because this is just an insane story. Yeah, compelling and intriguing, enticing. Mm-hmm. Lot of goddamn work. Yeah, a lot of work. I've read so many freaking pages. <laughs> Cheers, man. Cheers. God, it's good though. Cheers. Yes. So come uh, back for the next episode to find out. Like we said, this is going to be a long series. Uh, so just strap in, enjoy it. You know, get yourself a beer, get yourself a little weed or whatever you need to. Just sit down and. Why you gonna make a plan illegal? Why you gonna make a plan illegal? Just enjoy it. In the meantime. Why don't you go follow us on social media? Well, you can find us. We're on and five on everything. W-E-R-E on and five. That is Twitter and Instagram. We also have a website. We're on and five.com. Uh, that I update that periodically. I haven't done it for a little while, but I'll get back on it. By the time you hear this episode, I might have it done. Um, we also have a Patreon. If you feel like giving us a little money, make it a little easier on us. Basically, you're just paying for uh, the hosting site for us and for books for us to read. So you're helping us. If you give us money, you're helping us be able to research search more um and in return you can hear all the episodes a day earlier and whenever we do uh any extra stuff we'll put it on there we have a pretty fun one lined up for this series uh it'll be good oh yeah so if you want to find me anywhere anton i'm anton is on in five on twitter and instagram i post some pretty fun stuff you can see me and my my uh cute family and some stupid dad jokes like my hyundai sonata (laughs) um if you want to follow ethan anywhere where can they do that I am Ethan Bonin on Twitter. I am Bones for Bonin on Instagram. And just email us at weareonin5 at gmail.com with anything. Just just talk, talk, please. <laughs> do it, please. Please do it. Austin. Oh, man. I'm getting to the point where I don't even want to plug it anymore because I just don't care about it. And I don't really think don't. it's stupid just shit a toxic don't. wasteland. But, I mean, if you want to. F- Tell you what tell you what if you want to follow us anywhere you can do that at we're on in five on twitter and instagram w-e-r-e on yeah, yeah, yeah. do that yes, or you yes. can yeah if you want to find me and watch the one thing i post every three months you figure it out listen to the next episode you... last episode i don't freaking know you have to hunt it down yourself um yeah the the only other thing we would ask of you thank you so much for listening um is to like and review us on iTunes or anywhere that you listen to podcasts. Uh, subscribe to us. Do all that. Do all the all the stuff that you need to do. That just helps us get seen more, whatever. Um, and if you review us and send us a picture of the review that you did, we will send you a thank you package. It'll It's not much, but it'll have some stickers in there, and it'll have a handwritten thank you note from either I, Ethan or myself or Austin. I don't know. He might jump in and do that every once in a while. Probably not, but that's all right. Um, I'm doing a lot more things lately. I got the letters in my passenger seat. Yeah, I am. I'm waiting. He's ready. I'm waiting. Ethan is at the ready to write to anyone about anything. So I will write um, a whole freaking two-page letter. I will talk to you. God. You might not want to hear it, but I'll talk. 
<laughs> Ethan will. Yeah, Ethan can go off really easily. <laughs> so if you want that, review us. And if you don't, in the review, write, I want Anton to write my, my thank you <laughs> note because then I will do it. Um, but right now, it sounds like our song is ending. So we're going to end it there. And we will talk to you next time on On In 5 for part three of Ludwig von Beethoven. Yes, we will. Be good. We love you. Be good. Thank you. Stay safe.